dig into today, which is, I hope, good. I hope everybody will be happy about that. Social maturity. One of the ways that we uh, being uh, people who, who love God, because this could get kind of serious, like, especially as we read all these Proverbs about not knowing anything, like, it can be, it can feel a little heavy-handed. Uh, and part of being curious, I think, is having a more open, kind of relaxed attitude. And, like, if you ever find yourself being super serious all the time, that's an indication that you're stressed out. Like, like just, like, being super, like, grim and, and, like, earnestness. Like, earnestness is usually an indication that, like, you're going through something that's a bit intense, right? And so, if you can laugh a little bit, if you can kind of, like, take stock, if you can kind of take a step back and, uh, and laugh at yourself a little bit, uh, it, it, can be, it can be really helpful. And so I wanted to kind of just put in a few jokes. So I don't know, man, you know, I don't know if this is really, uh, really easy to see, but this popped up on a, good, I'm glad people are laughing. I'm glad people are getting, getting the joke. So this popped up in my, I, I follow a worship leader group on Facebook and this little meme popped up and I just, I LOL'd so hard. This really has very little to do with the sermon today, but I just thought it was so funny I had to share it. So you see the, I think that's probably Scott Summers and Jean Grey based on the context of Wolverine there, uh, but you know, they're, they're kissing, they're having a sloppy wet kiss, and then Wolverine is the my heart turning violently inside my chest. If you get the, if you get the reference, right, you get the reference to the worship song, heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss. By the way, I am team sloppy wet 100%. I know that there's a little bit of a controversy between unforeseen and sloppy wet. I honestly like I have I have questions about consent in a unforeseen kiss. So <laughs> team sloppy wet forever. I'm just saying. I'm just saying because like I don't whenever whenever heaven meets earth in my experience, I get a little bit sloppy and wet. Like I'm just going to be honest, like I I'm expecting God to meet me at this conference I'm going to. I expect the snot to flow. Like it's going to happen. While I'm getting prayer, like, I just, I think that's probably, anyway, so I just, I thought that was hilarious. Uh, here's another thing I think is kind of hilarious. This is a little meme, and this is a little more related to what we're talking about today. Uh, it's uh, somebody named Blurry McBron's face. I love people who are reading ahead of me. So at the end of this course, students will be able to, and then Socrates says, know that they know nothing. And then the education administrator pops in and says, I'm sorry, but that's not a measurable learning outcome. And I do feel like sometimes... Sometimes when we approach the scriptures, we, and, and sometimes in church, we can get this culture of uh, having a little bit of know-it-all syndrome, right? Does that, has anybody experienced that in church? Anybody experienced a person like that at church? Anybody been that person at church? That's a little embarrassing. Um, where we, we, we feel like we have to know everything, we have to know all the answers, and, and you know, when uh, when, you're, uh, when your education funding is constantly under threat, you have to justify the expense of education to uh, society and, and you, you are trying to you know, allow teachers to get paid and students to be fed and all the things that uh, you, know, you want to happen in a school, uh, then maybe you get a little anxious and you have to try to prove why you, know, you, you need measurable things that you're teaching the kids so that you can prove that your education has value. And I wonder if that kind of sickness doesn't drive a lot of the standards and some of the, like, some of the things that we all hate about school, right? Like, just the, the, the seemingly endless bureaucracy and the, like, 
teachers speak and all of that. And I do wonder if sometimes we don't bring a little bit of that to the Bible, right? Like, I wonder if sometimes we don't bring a little bit of that attitude of, I need to justify myself uh, to the scriptures. And we kind of maybe sometimes use or abuse the scriptures that way. We, maybe you've encountered a person who has who's, uh, used the Bible to prove to you why they're a good person and why you're not. <laughs> or to prove to you why they're right and you're wrong. Or maybe you've been the person, maybe you've been the person who's used the scriptures that way. And I know I've sometimes maybe kind of been that guy a little bit. And, uh, you know, here's the thing. I, I really hate it when the Bible calls me stupid. Uh, but I've been reading, I've been reading the NIRV, uh, at, which is the New International Reader's Version. So it's kind of like the NIV, but they broke it down to a lower lexile level. All right, I'm going to get my teacher speak out for real now. Uh, I, I'm speaking as one of, as one of the teachers. I, I love the teachers because, because I am one, and I've been one, and I hope to be one again sometime. And, uh, but the uh, NIRV is really cool because they take all the run-on sentences and they just break them up into two sentences. Right? They just break stuff down so that it's just easier to read. And something about that I have found in my devotional life, particularly in the book of Proverbs, it really packs a punch. Because Proverbs are like these pithy little, it's not hard to understand what they're saying, right? Like, it's just like, here's some wisdom right in the face, right? Um, like, and, and something about reading Proverbs in the New International Reader's Version has really spoken to me. And I, it was really my experience. I have to tell you, the privilege that I have as a pastor, I, I got to just sit in my little office this week and read like 20 chapters of Proverbs. I just like really dug in. Like I just geeked out. I was like, I was just loving it. I was just loving spending that time like with God in the scriptures. It's like something that I've always longed to have time to do and now I do have time to do it and it's just feeding my soul. It's been so good. But I got to tell you, I really hate it when the Bible calls me stupid because anyone who loves to be trained loves knowledge and anyone who hates to be corrected is stupid. I was like, ouch, Jesus, ouch, that hurts a little bit, like, I, you know, come on, I come to the Bible wanting comfort, I want encouragement, and I hate to be corrected, and this is telling me that when I hate to be corrected, that that's stupid, like, that's a little bit yowzer, you know, that's a, that's a little bit harsh, I am being a bit tongue-in-cheek here, of course, like, I don't think that the the Bible is actually calling me personally stupid just because I find that I hate to be corrected. But I have found that there is like a theme in all these things. I have found that there's, there's, this is a theme that runs all through Proverbs and it even runs into the New Testament. So let's just, let's just kind of dig in a little bit. Let's just look at a few more of these. So when pride comes, shame follows. But wisdom comes to those who are not proud. Those who turn away from their training become poor and ashamed, but those who accept warnings are honored. If you listen to a warning, you will live. You will be at home among those who are wise, but anyone who makes fun of others doesn't like to be corrected. He won't ask wise people for advice. He, that's God, mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. Uh, Jesus kind of picks up this theme. 
uh, I got to go back on this one a little bit. Uh, Proverbs 3.34, this is in the Septuagint, this gets rendered slightly different. You know, different translations uh, are a thing that like, even in the Bible, you can see there are different translations of the Bible. So don't freak out about translation issues, okay? But, um, but, but it's saying God mocks the proud. He, it, another rendering of this is God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble or he exalts the humble. You might, have, you might have heard that before. And actually, it's a refrain. This, this verse, this proverb, this, particularly the Greek version, or the Septuagint version of this proverb gets quoted in the New Testament multiple times. One time is something that Jesus says is very close. He says that for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. James uh, wrote, wrote this. He said that, but he gives us more grace, he being God, right? God gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And then in 1 Peter 5, 5, it says this, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. Proverbs 14, or sorry, 15, 14 puts it this way. A heart that understands what is right looks for knowledge. But the mouths of foolish people feed on what is foolish. The thing that I feel like God wants to say to us as a community, and I could be wrong, Maybe, I, maybe I've misheard it, but when I look at all these Proverbs, when I think about this value of humility that is woven throughout all the Scriptures, I feel like the invitation from God to us as a community, as we become more mature people, as we become wise old people like Socrates, as we become people who have experienced more and more of life, that a posture of humility demands that we ask more questions that we be people who are curious, that we recognize that we don't know everything, right? That there are things that we don't know. And even, I don't know, this is going to feel a little bit alarming to some people maybe, maybe not in this church as much, but maybe even when it comes to God, there might be some things that we don't know, right? Like there might be some things that we don't understand. Maybe even when it comes to the Scriptures, there might be some parts of it that we haven't read yet or that we haven't read in a while or that we haven't remembered or that we haven't internalized. You know, you can always find more depth and you can always find a place to grow if you actually try to start doing what the Bible says to do, right? Like, it's really easy to, to do this thing and to kind of get bored with knowing about the Bible. Like, many of us have been doing this for a while. We've heard these stories before. But we haven't done the things that are in those stories. We haven't responded in the way that the heroes of faith have responded to God. We haven't actually like, put into practice what we know. Like, and so a posture of curiosity, it really expresses a humble love for God, for the scriptures, and everyone. And so you know, I, I'm realizing now I kind of forgot to pray. We were praying a lot before the service. I want to just take a moment to pray and ask God to help us be humble and curious people. Can I do that this morning? Lord, I just ask that somehow through your word that you would speak to me, that you'd speak through me, and that you'd speak to all of us, that you would help us 
to be able to laugh at ourselves, to not be people who make fun of others, to not be know-it-alls. God, I just, I confess, I'm often a know-it-all. And I thank you for gently letting me know that that is wrong. And God, we just, you know, we just come to you. We just need you to speak to us. God, we just need to hear from you this morning in prayer and through your word. God, would you just give us life? Would you give us wisdom that we don't have? And would you inspire us to seek you and to be curious about you and about each other and even about ourselves and to grow through that experience and that posture of curiosity. I just ask for these things in Jesus' name. When we embrace a posture of curiosity, we actually are able to put into practice humility and love with the people around us and in the relationships that we have, even with God. And I think that this is something that, I'm not sure that this is as much the default setting as it has become for me, or is that I have felt that it is. I, I came to Jesus when I was probably about 14 years old, and so I, I never, I, I, I grew up in sort of a nominally Christian household, but I've always kind of had a, like, a faith that I feel like I have chosen. I never felt like it was my throat or forced on me. That, that, that just wasn't my experience, but I am, I'm, I'm coming to learn, I'm coming to understand that many people have had a very different experience of church, where they felt like it was forced on them, where it was really like something that was just beat into them all the time. And that, that has never been my experience. And so I just, as I've been listening, I'm, I'm kind of becoming aware of this kind of unique sort of privilege that I enjoy. And maybe it's just, maybe it's just that like the world is made for white men and I'm a white man. And so the church being in the world is like, maybe it's just like another expression of that. Like maybe it's just like, well, surprise, surprise, you had a good experience. You're a white male, Josh. Like maybe that's it. Maybe it's just like another way that that privilege uh, finds itself in my life, but but my experience with the church has been like overwhelmingly positive, and I've never felt this pressure to like stay in a bad situation. But as I hear more of these horrifying, terrible stories of things like abuse, and I I've been I've just like I'm just filled with like shock and awe. Like I'm listening to the the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast. I think that's become wildly popular. Uh, perhaps for good reason. I think the, the criticism of it that sometimes it doesn't go far enough might be valid. I don't really know because I don't really know that much about the church. Like, I've never listened to, to, to Mark Driscoll. I kind of wrote him off uh, like years ago and just never paid attention to him. Uh, but like, as I hear about these other experiences of church that are so negative and just so just awful, I'm just like, oh my gosh, if that's what people are rejecting, then yes, like that absolutely should be rejected. But that's, that's just not been my experience at church. Like my experience at church has been a place where people are loving and kind and where it's okay to ask questions and where it's okay to struggle with things and where it's okay to be just like a real human person who's going through life and like sometimes I'm okay and sometimes I'm really not. And like God has just been present with me through that. My relationship with God has been one that I feel like I've been able to be honest with people and, and, and honest with God about what's going on in my life and what's happening. 
And it, just in reflecting on the privilege of that experience, uh, I, I now have more questions. You know, like I have more questions about other people's experience of church. And, and I, I feel like what I'm learning is that it's good for me, maybe, in my privileged position to ask more questions of people and their experience with church or their experience with God because maybe their experience has been very different than mine and that maybe I need to not assume that everyone's story is just like mine. But I would even take this a step further and say that the posture of curiosity expresses some love to one another, but I think really the place that we need to start is we need to start by coming to a humble place with God. And there's this little there's this little tidbit in Proverbs chapter 30. I've never noticed it before. If, you, if you've been watching the series uh, The Chosen, which I'm not necessarily making an endorsement from that from the pulpit, but like, I'm just saying like, I've really enjoyed this fan fiction about Jesus. It's really, it's really entertaining and it's really fun. Uh, but the, there's a conversation between John the Baptist and Nicodemus in season one where they mention this. And it's like, I've never noticed it before. I've never, I just totally glossed over it. But in Proverbs 30, there's this spot where uh, the oracle of Jaqeh, uh, like the, the sayings of the words of Agur, son of Jaqeh, he spoke them as if they came from God. Uh, some translations render this, as, this was the oracle that he received. This was the revelation that he received. And it says he spoke them to Ithiel and Ukal. I have no idea who Ithiel and Ukal are. We don't really get to know. But this is what, this is what he said. This is what this wise guy who then had like several Proverbs listed later in the chapter said. He said this, he said, I know less than anyone. I don't understand as other men do. And then he says, I haven't learned wisdom. And I don't know the Holy One. That's wisdom, to approach God with that attitude, to say, I don't know anything. Like, I don't get it. I don't understand God. To start in that place, that's where wisdom comes from, right? Like, by the way, this predates Socrates, okay? This is hundreds of years. You heard it in the Bible first, but you don't know anything, all right, before, before, before he says it. And, this is, and then this is, the, this is really the oracle, I think. This is a who has gone up to heaven and come down? Who has gathered up the wind in the palms of his hands? Who has wrapped up the waters in his coat? Who has set all the boundaries of the earth in place? What is his name? And what is his son's name? Tell me if you know. That's so mysterious and so interesting. It's like, it's like he's seeing something that's about to happen. or It's like seeing something that he doesn't know. To know God's name, you know, we, we talk about God's name, the Lord. The tetragrammaton, it's, it's, it's not pronounceable. The yod hey vav hey, it's sometimes rendered Y-H-W-H. Uh, it's, been, it's been mispronounced and, and, and westernized into Jehovah or Yahweh, alternatively. But we don't, we don't know God's name. Did you know that? Like we, can't, we can't know his name because we can't know him fully because in the Bible, in the biblical author's mindset, to, to know God is to, is to have power over him, right? To know a person is to, to, to completely understand it. To, to under, like, and so like, we, we actually can't know God fully, right? And so that name, that tetragrammaton, it comes from him saying, I am who I am to Moses in the burning bush. That's sort of like the origin of that name for God, Yahweh or Jehovah, depending on how you mispronounce it. But it's actually not pronounceable. It's actually something that we can't 
know. And I think that God is trying to show us something in that. I think that the Lord wants us to understand who we are in our limited understanding and who he is in all of his grandiosity in creating and sustaining the universe. Like, I think it's just important to remember that we don't get all of it, right? And so maybe approaching God with more questions, making fewer assumptions, and asking more questions of God might actually be a healthy way to work out faith. And it might actually help us be a little less anxious, might actually help us feel a little less pressure to know everything and to, to always have an answer. And I can hear, I can hear somebody, you know, kind of under their breath, maybe remembering that Bible verse where it says, you know, you should always have an answer. You should always have a reason to give for the hope that you have. And shouldn't you, shouldn't you know things? Shouldn't you have something to give people who are hurting? Shouldn't you have some sense of healing? I'm not saying that we don't know things. I'm not saying that we don't understand some things about the character of God or who he is or, or, or whatever. But I just think that maybe it's really okay to have a faith that doesn't have all the questions answered and that mystery is a significant component that mystery could even be a feature rather than a bug right and so i think that when we approach god with humility that actually gives god the answer the 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 ability to give us answers right like if we come to god assuming we know what he's going to say then we've sort of short-circuited the conversation, right? Like it's kind of over, like we're not, and we're not really in that, when we do that, what's really interesting is that we're not really relying on God to speak to us and direct us and guide us. We're, we're actually coming to God pretending like we're relying on him, but really we're relying on our own understanding. There's no conversation. There's no relationship. And... I think it's good for people to come to God and particularly to come to the scriptures, maybe not knowing what they're going to say. N.T. Wright, who is probably one of the most influential theologians uh, in our in our century, he's still living, still writing. The guy's so prolific. There's no way anyone can read everything that he writes. Uh, in fact, he often he often will uh, respond with his response to something that he knows is about to be published by like publishing a, like he beats people that he's arguing with, like, the guy's just, he's insane, right? He's a brilliant mind. But he says that when we come to the scriptures, we should have the expectation that we should change, right? We should come to the Bible with the understanding that we don't know what it says and that it's going to say something that we didn't expect or that we had thought wrong and we will be corrected by it. And I just find that to be such a healthy and freeing attitude in my relationship with God. I have assumed for so long that it's normal, but I think that part of what's going on in culture is that in many churches that's not normal. That's really sad. And what's happening is that as people are finding that they need to ask questions, they're finding that their church community doesn't, doesn't see things that way, doesn't, doesn't have room for honest truth-seeking and for honest questions coming to God and really looking for those answers. And so a lot of people are just saying, forget it, and, and I'm leaving. And that's really hard. 
And I think that as I'm trying to listen and ask more questions and figure out what, what is going on, why is everybody freaking out, uh, I think just like recognizing that many people's experience of church doesn't approach God with questions, doesn't come to the scriptures with humility seeking to be taught, but rather there's sort of this anxious need to know everything and need to control everything that happens in churches sometimes. And let's be honest, maybe I've been guilty of that or I've experienced that. Like, that could still be here. And if you see that going on, like, call me on it, whatever. Like, let's talk about it. But I just think that if we're going to have a healthy relationship with God, starting from a place of curiosity is really good. Um, you know, uh, I think another way that we can practice curiosity and practice humble love is with the people that we think that we know. The people that we think that we know. You know, a, a week or two or maybe three, I don't, I don't really remember, uh, I, I was talking to Kara, and she was telling me this story about how when she was in high school, she was in a production of a play uh, based on the, the birds, was it Birds of Paradise? Was that the name of it? It was, no, something like it. I don't, it, Caged Birds was the name of the play. And, and uh, that, that she was in this play, and she to- told me all these things about this play, and apparently the, there were all these women in this play that were dr- dressed like women from different time periods, and it was like this really like interesting kind of like meditation on feminism and, uh, and like the birds and the symbolism, and the, it was just like super interesting, and like we've been married 16 years. Like, our, our marriage is a teenager. Like, he can drive at this point, right? Like, if we'd had a kid, right, right as soon as we, you know, got married, that kid would be driving right now. Like, I mean, like, I, I feel like, I, I think that I know my wife. Like, I think that I know you. I think, I think we know each other pretty well. I mean, like, we've had kids together. We've been to Philadelphia and back. We've moved. We've, we, you know, we've had arguments. We've talked about and then I find out that you were in this play that I've never heard of. I've never heard this story before. And it totally, like, I knew that you did a little bit of theater, but, like, it really changed the way I see you. Like, I know it seems like this really insignificant detail, maybe. Apparently it's insignificant to you. I don't know. But, like, I'm still getting to know my wife. She probably knows me all inside and out. She's probably got me figured out. She's, yeah, she's nodding her head. But, but like, you know, I thought I knew her. And I still don't. And if that's my wife, it, I, guessing there's probably some things that I don't know about the people that I work with or that I go to school with or that I, like there's probably, there's probably some depth and some interestingness and some, uh, some layers to some people, right? Proverbs 14.10 tells us that each heart knows its own sadness and no one else can share its joy. It's, it's kind of actually impossible to totally know another person, right? Even someone that you spend a lifetime with, right? Here's, here's good news. Here's gospel for us. Uh, in, in, in addition to the wisdom of that challenge, just knowing that, like, knowing someone else's heart, knowing who, who they are, where they're coming from can be challenging. Death and grave lie open in front of the Lord, so the hearts of mere men certainly lie open to him. One of the things I think is a real strength in our community, one of the things that, that, uh, that happens here that we do regularly is this practice of prayer where we invite God uh, and, and we try to listen to God and we kind of learn how to discern and hear God's voice. And we do that with 
humility, when we share that with other people, we see, well, I kind of think maybe God might be saying thus and so, right? And what's really cool is when we do that, like when I'm praying for another person, I say, come Holy Spirit, teach me how to pray, show me what you want to do here. I'm kind of trying to be curious with God and see what God wants to do for this other person that I'm praying for. When I do that, I find that God will sometimes reveal some secrets or point some things out. We will often do it in a way that's not like, now I know everything about the person. That's, that's usually not how it works. It's like I get like a little glimpse, like I'll get, maybe I get the impression of like a person's name or like, oh, I just felt pain in my back. Are you, do you have pain there? Like, it'll be some kind of like re- random weird little thing. And sometimes I miss it. Sometimes like I'm totally wrong. Sometimes I'm like, hey, I kind of think God might be saying this. And the person's like, no, that's way off. You, you really have no idea. I'm, oh, okay, well, fine. I'm, now I'm learning. You know, like that's, and that's okay, right? Like that's okay. Uh, but something in that process really helps me love that person and it really helps that person know themselves more and, and we feel connected. And, and there's, it, there's something about that experience that I think is really special in our community that we take it seriously that the Lord knows us better than we know ourselves, and we ask him to show us, and we ask him to show that, like, we believe that God can, like, show me things about you. And God can speak to me, th- to me about you and through me to you. And, the, and the, it's really not me. Like, I miss it enough. Like, I screw it up enough that I know it's not me. But, like, the God can bless you through my prayers and, like, I've really experienced it when people are reading my mail, right? That's, you know, it feels like they know things about me that I didn't tell them that, you know, like, but God told them that. And that's really encouraging to me when someone prays for me with that kind of discernment and that kind of listening. That's super encouraging and super great. And I think there's an opportunity here to really embrace that curiosity uh, more and to ask more questions. Even as we're praying for others, you know, it's like, we try not to assume that we know what God is doing in the person while we're praying for them. So we're praying for a person, and they suddenly start to cry, and the snot starts to flow. Heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss, and like stuff is going on, right? It's usually good when that's happening to say, hey, what are you experiencing? Not assuming what the other person is experiencing. Like, what's going on? What, you know, I noticed you're crying. Seems like the Lord might be doing something. What's happening? And then the person can kind of tell you, right? Like it's really, <laughs> it's like a really good way to pray. It's a really good way to experience prayer ministry, to experience God. And it helps us get to know people and it helps us connect on this deeper level that's really wonderful. And then I, just kind of last point, and then we'll, we'll put this stuff into practice, is uh, it's really good to spend some time asking more questions of yourself. Or at least it is for me. Now maybe you know yourself really well, but I find that, I don't know what I'm doing or why a lot of the times, you know, like Proverbs 13, 14, 13, this one really speaks to me. Even when you laugh, your heart can be hurting and your joy can end in sadness. You know, like there's complex things going on under the surface. There's a verse in Jeremiah 27 where Jeremiah, prophetically speaking to Israel, he says that the heart is deceptive above all things. That the heart is this thing that is unknowable. Like, just knowing yourself, like even that, it's a humbling challenge, right? Like, to just be curious, like, I'm having this emotional reaction, and I don't understand why I'm upset. What do I do with that? Like, what, what's going on inside me? Like, what is happening even with me? Well, here's some gospel for us, all right? Everything a man does or everything a person does might seem right to him or her, 
But the Lord knows what that person is thinking. God does know. God does know what's going on inside you. And so we can kind of come with that curious approach to God. We can kind of come to the Lord saying, hey, would you, would you show me what's going on here? Would you help me understand why I'm so anxious? Would you help me to, to get what's going on? God, can you help me figure myself out? There's so, there's so much good that can come there. The Lord can speak into that. He can provide insight and help us to turn, to change, letting God shine a light inside of us. And I kind of mentioned this before, but it really kind of goes back to some of the things that Kara said last week. Just knowing, knowing ourselves and becoming more self-aware, inviting God into that process. How did, how did he go, by the way? Because I know that I know that many of us were here last week. We're, how did it go putting these things into practice? Does anybody remember these things from last week? Here's the thing. This is a thing that happens in church. We talk about stuff. Hopefully, we write some stuff down, uh, and hopefully, we we decide to make some actions or to do something based on what we said. But it's really super easy. If you want more depth, if you want more challenge, if you want to grow as a person actually putting into practice the things that you're learning that's where the money is man that's that's it that's where the good stuff is and i think it's good to to slow down to not just jump into action right like the action is this week like and last week is to really to to slow down to take a deep breath to consider to 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 talk to god to let god treat god like he's curious about you because i think that, that's one way that he expresses his care. Jesus asks people questions. Do you think it's because he doesn't know? I think it's because he wants us to talk to him. I, because he's, he wants to know what we have to say. He wants to, to, to make some space, to be hospitable, and to create space for us to connect with him. You know, we can talk to him like we have no idea what's going on. We can, we can ask God to guide us. We can not disconnect. And so if you want to go deeper, you want to get more out of this, putting it into practice is really where it's at. You know, I think that church is supposed to be a place where we can try and fail and try and fail and try and fail and struggle and learn and ask more questions and get confused and get mad at each other even and maybe step on each other's toes and, uh, and we stick with each other. That we don't give up in each other through that and that through that commitment to one another that we experience space and we experience time and we experience a, a, a hospitality, a care that we express to one another as we ask each other, how are you doing? And how can I pray for you right now? Can I pray for you right now? Is that something you want? Being curious that way is really good. And then saying, how? How can I pray for you? What do you want God to do for you? What can we see in God to, together today? What can we discover? What can we come to God in a humble attitude, in a curious attitude, in a place where we can learn, and where, where we can experience some good things? And so that's, it's okay. If you're struggling through stuff, if you don't know what's going on, that's all right. Um, we're going to try and learn some things together right now. So would you stand? So um, there are a couple of words.
that God was speaking to people, even as we were praying before the service, Phil got one. Uh, I'm going to let him share that. And then Matthew also kind of while we were in worship started to experience something too. And we want to make uh, space for God to speak to us. And so I, I wanted to make space for those things to get shared. Phil, do you want to go ahead and talk? So, yeah. Um, so we were praying this morning, and I had this just picture in my mind that came up, and I mostly thought it was kind of funny. But I shared it anyway, and it resonated with a couple of people. So Josh asked if I could share it here. So um, I don't know if everyone has seen, like, in a Greek restaurant with the in the gyro meat that's on, like, the spindle and sort of behind the counter. And when they need the gyro meat, they'll, like, take a knife and shave off part of it and put it on your pita or whatever. But in my picture, I saw just, like, a heart of, like, a person. And um, it was made out of that gyro meat. And uh, it was sort of round, but not quite a ball, because if you've seen those little spindles of meat, there's all these angles where they've taken the knife and cut it, so there's little points all over it, and it was just covered in all these little points. But then I, this knife just was like kind of cutting off the points a little bit, making it slightly rounder in all different parts of it. And uh, I, what I felt was that it was God just sort of shaving off like doubt or wrong beliefs or things we learned or thought we learned that may or may not be correct and just it's a slow process over time um, I guess the idea was that this ball should be round so it's just cutting off all these points and making it more perfect I guess so fantastic uh, I'm gonna let Matthew share it too because he had something so I had this uh, picture of basically like a liquid gold light uh, pouring in through the through the roof and just filling the space, but it was messy. It was splashing around and it was coming in eds and flows. It was flying out the door and drying up and stuff. But then it got more complicated because as people would breathe it in, uh, out would come like a silver light, like moonlight almost, which I think is kind of like you know the sun is reflected off the moon and you get a different light. Uh, and there were times in which the silver light being breathed out as we worshipped would almost cover up the golden light. But it was still light. It was still his light. It just wasn't as intense. And so there were times where it looked like everything was just this hybrid of God, God's presence within the person coming back out. Uh, and then there were times when God would re-anoint and refill. And it would be like, you know, over our heads, but then it would start flowing down again. And, um, yeah, I guess that's it. Um, anyway, yeah, thanks. Awesome. Yeah, so, okay, so if either of those uh, pictures speak to you in, like, a specific way, uh, I invite you to get prayer uh, and get prayer about those things. Uh, also, I just say, like, if you're in a place where you feel super serious and, <laughs> and uh, you feel the pressure to know everything or to have answers, uh, I feel like God just wants to speak to, speak to you and meet you in that place. Um, or if you just, you know, you're realizing, man, you know, I've hated correction, and that's stupid, <laughs> and I need to, <laughs> I need to turn. Uh, God can meet you in that place, too. Like, whatever's going on with you, you need healing, you need uh, vision, you need help, God's here. Uh, just, just come up and get prayer.